0: hello everyone this is dr sam and i'd like to welcome you to another eye clarity podcast we are at podcast 101 made the breakthrough from last week and uh, so we're full speed ahead i'm actually broadcasting today from downtown santa fe on the corner of East Marcy and Cienica. Uh it's kind of quiet down here right now because a lot of the tourism has been um, uh, shut off because of uh, COVID-19 and this time of year in Santa Fe is, uh, is usually pretty active you know we have the uh, Indian market the Native American artists usually uh, this weekend And of course that is now all virtual. And um, I have a video version of the podcast. Uh, You can find that on my Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube pages, if you want to go there. And uh, we have a really interesting show today. I'm going to take three questions from listeners. So I think let's just uh, jump right in. Question number one. And this is a question from a listener who uh, is about his baby daughter who's just turned one and he writes that she goes crossed eyed sometimes. It seems like she's playing because she she kind of zones out for a few seconds and she's smiling and laughing often when her eye turns in and then her eyes go back to normal. And he says that we haven't thought anything of it and figured it'll be something that she grows out of. But I wanted to check with you. And he also writes, she does not appear to have any visual struggles or any signs of developmental issues. She's healthy, happy, moves well, sees well. From Googling it, it looks like intermittent accommodative esotropia. What do I think? Great question. And what I would say here is that, um, it's really normal in an infant, toddler, early child development, where you might see the eyes, I call them swimming, you know, where you start, sometimes you see them turn in, sometimes you see them turn out. And it's kind of the hardware, (laughs) getting the hardware and the software hooked up. Uh, the hardware being the eyes and the eye muscles and the software being the brain, because it's really the brain that directs the eyes and aims them and learning to do that—that that is a skill that actually starts developing uh, very early when an infant starts learning about motoring, you know, learning about spatial orientation and knowing where their body is in space and um, it's a learned and developed skill and it's interesting in you know the the comments that um, you're noticing when the eye turns in when your daughter is smiling and laughing Um, so there's kind of a bit when the eye turns in there's kind of a disconnect between the brain and the eyes and when we see an eye turn in there's two scenarios one is either Uh, a person will see double vision. You could ask your daughter, although at one, she probably couldn't tell you that. The other thing that could happen is when one of the eyes is straight and one of the eyes is turned in, this leads to something called suppression. In other words, the brain is shutting off one of the eyes to avoid double. And it's interesting because in strabismus, that's what this condition is called. It's a lack of integration, but it isn't just in the eyes. The integration is, how our brain and our body work together. So when I talk about integration, the right side of the body and the left side of the body, the upper body and the lower body, the front of the body and the back of the body. So all of those, I call them reciprocal interweaving communication links uh, are really important. But at age one, um, it's normal to have say one or both of the eyes doing the swimming where they're crossed, they're uncrossed and yeah, it's usually an intermittent situation. Um, so the school of thought is like, Oh, you know, a person will just grow out of it. Obviously I take a much more proactive approach and I take a non-surgical approach because if you go the allopathic model, some of the, the ideas that they're promoting are just plain wrong. They're myths. Uh, And one of the myths is that, um, you know, once you reach a certain age, you can't improve the situation. That's totally erroneous. Um, I've had adults with strabismus who have actually learned about integrating their eyes and brain and body together. Um, Another myth is that, you know, it usually takes several years to grow out of anisotropia. Well, that's not true. If if you do the physical eye therapy. you can actually learn to integrate your two eyes in a couple of months. And there is a bit of a defensiveness in the surgeons, uh, probably takes money out of their pocket because, you know, eye muscle surgery is probably one of the worst surgeries you could do. It doesn't work. Uh, The literature says that the success rate is at most maybe 30% on a cosmetic level uh, and you end up having to do multiple surgeries. And on top of that, when you do a surgery, what I have seen with people who've then come to see me for physical eye therapy is for the rest of their life, it's a permanent questioning of what they see and what they feel because when you change the length of the muscle in the surgery to try to straighten the eyes, the brain gets very confused by that. And this is why the eyes tend to revert back to the way the eyes looked before the surgery. So you definitely don't wanna do surgery. In terms of, uh, you had mentioned accommodative esotropia, Let's, let's break that down a little bit because accommodative means focus and esotropia means crossed eyes. So what a child is doing at that point is that they're having to muscle and focus their eyes and in doing that, they have to turn their eye in to be able to focus. And that usually starts happening if you're, you know, putting books and electronics in front of their eyes so that they have to, um, uh, you know, they have to focus and identify. And this, this leads to a refractive error called farsightedness And again, what the conventional doctors want to do is they want to slap this really strong magnifying lens on a child and that completely stunts their visual development and it's distorting. Uh, It also creates a, a low responsiveness in the focusing. All in the spirit of trying to force the eyes to stay straight and even some doctors we will use a prism on top of that, which locks down the eyes even more. So, you wanna stay away from those people because what ends up happening is the eyes actually get worse and worse and worse. So, you know, without doing any formal physical physical vision therapy and because there doesn't seem to be any, you know, developmental delays or, uh, you know, emotional, stuff going on. What I would say is really explore this idea of bilaterality. So in other words, a lot of cross patterning, crawling, a lot of cross patterning uh, when she's ready to do some walking, have her motor forwards and backwards. This is another very interesting um, observation I've made is that kids that develop strabismus have very little backspace and very little back awareness like uh, like their back everything is thrusting forward so what we do with um, with our kids in vision therapy is we do a, a very specific motor pattern where we have them move through obstacle courses and in doing that they have to do a lot of cross patterning so that could be things like crawling, uh, bear walk, walking. Again at one year old you're probably not going to get bear walk going. It would be enough if you just get the crawling and kind of initiate some level of cross patterning. Another thing that you can do in the obstacle course is we do the log rolling so their their body is you know, long, their arms are out in front of them. So they're lying down on the ground and we have them do some log rolling around obstacle courses, because what we wanna, what we wanna encourage here is a visually guided, visually directed movement with the body through space using cross patterning um, ideas. Uh, Because the better the body is cross patterning, that tells the brain to work in a more kind of whole brain way, which then will, will tell the eyes to work in a more cross pattern uh, scenario. So there's creeping, crawling, log rolling. Um, another thing is that she could be on your back and you could do something like marine crawl. And that's great for the the vestibular system so that brings in the inner ear because another reason why we develop strabismus is there's a disconnect between our inner ear and our eyes and our inner ear is very involved in our proprioception and our balance mechanism as it relates to the eyes so you doing she's on your back and you're doing, you know, marine crawl and other kinds of crawling. So in other words, anything that you can do to stimulate her vestibular system can help straighten the eyes because then she's got to engage more peripheral vision. So the name of the game here when you've got esotropia is to engage more of the peripheral vision. So let's say, for example, the right eye was turned in just as an example. I would be doing a lot of motoring where she's got to go to the right and that there's an engagement in the peripheral vision on the right side. So I'd be really showing her objects and asking her to look more in the periphery away from the middle so that she's engaging more of that peripheral vision. And when you have a really solid peripheral vision, you stop crossing your eyes. And one of the things that happens in crossing the eyes, is there's a confusion in the midline. So now I bring in uh craniosacral therapy and you know, as a cranial therapist, I have done a lot of great healing with kids with strabismus, just by creating more movement in the head in the occiput and the cervical spine. So that would be another uh, possibility. And I would look for an osteopathic pediatric craniosacral uh, person in your area, somebody who's really gifted in the cranial work because craniosacral therapy actually is one of the most effective ways at reducing esotropia. And um, so there's that there's any kind of vestibular stimulation being on slides, you know, spinning, swinging, all of that vestibular stimulation helps the eyes open up and relax and then doing the bilateral exercises in an obstacle course. When she's starting to ride a scooter again, it should be in an obstacle course, having her go right, having go, her go left. Uh, those are, those are some basic things. Uh, beyond that, there definitely are, are some, some, um, deeper exercises in what we call the primitive reflex therapy and primitive reflexes are very early infant patterns they actually start developing in utero and the purpose of those reflexes is to help the newborn adjust to coming out of the birth canal and if there's been some kind of birth interference um, and it doesn't sound like in this case this begins to impede the development of those motor patterns called the primitive reflexes. So if those reflexes do not begin to integrate once you're born and they kind of hang around, it begins to interfere with vision development. And this affects uh, things like strabismus, amblyopia, um, and some of the causes of these particular vision disorders. So, you know, if you want more, we could certainly talk about things like the moral reflex, the tonic labyrinth reflex. I mean, you could look those up. but right now, I think it's it's a kind of a, a bump in the road. I don't think it's a big deal. I think there's an exploration going on. Uh, what am I supposed to do with these two eyes, Dad? And, you know, doing some of these motoring patterns, gross motor with the bilateral uh, awareness involved and um, doing the obstacle course, Those are really simple ways, and stay out of the regular eye doctor's offices because they put the fear of God into you, and it's very traumatic, and they do things like patching for all day doesn't work, strong glasses doesn't work, Uh, surgery definitely does not work, so stay away from those folks, um, and you're good to go. So thank you so much for the question. Totally appreciate it. All right, let's take question two. And this is a question about the retina. Um, There's a gentleman who has been diagnosed with a condition called lattice degeneration. This is a condition that affects the retina. And if you look into the retina, like when an eye doctor looks into the retina, what lattice degeneration looks like is kind of like this crisscrossing, really fine lines on the surface of the retina um, it occurs, oh, I would say five to 7% of the population, mostly with people who've been diagnosed with myopia. Uh, they're usually, you know, in their twenties. Um, and it does affect both eyes. Uh, they're usually pretty symptom free. Um, the lattice tends to occur very far away from the macula, which is the center part of uh, you're seeing. So this this lattice degeneration is occurring in the peripheral retina and um, in some cases you can get things like lesions and holes and breaks and there's a bit of an atrophy that can occur. There also can be a pulling away of the vitreous, that's the gel sac that sits in front of the retina. We call that a posterior vitreal detachment um, and that can happen um as another side effect you know basically what's happening with the retina is there's a thinning um, and this thinning um, creates an atrophy and um, you know there's really not much to do about it um, it's usually symptom free as i said um, but the thing you have to watch out for with lattice degeneration is the um, The circulation, you know, the the retina is made up of a sea of microcapillaries. And if you're really getting this lattice degeneration that turns into an an atrophy condition, it can reduce the circulation in the microcapillaries. And this can lead to things like inflammation, uh, oxidative stress, um, and, you know, over time, this can create a deterioration in um, the retina. I would say that myopia is probably the the highest risk factor of developing this lattice condition. And in terms of conventional therapies, they can do things like uh, cryotherapy, which is extreme cold laser to kind of seal any part of the retina that may be either atrophying or coming apart, uh, but they really don't have a lot um, to offer. So, I want to give you several things that you can do to neutralize this condition. Uh, the first is you want to m- make sure you're getting foods in your diet that um, give you the carotenoids lutein um, zeaxanthin astaxanthin um, your omega-3 fatty acids are really important vitamin d3 Um, even some herbs like ginkgo and bilberry have been shown to kind of support the structure of the retina Um, i like color therapy so doing some um, color color therapy I like to do the rainbow. There's, you know, the different techniques we use based on, you know, where you're at in terms of the lattice degeneration. Um, Even the the eye clarity, eye exercise program that I recommend, the plus lens for blur, that wearing the opposite lens prescription in a therapeutic setting, wearing reduced uh, nearsighted prescriptions, especially for your digital time. And on top of that, Getting a blue blocking filter uh, because blue light can affect the retina negatively. Um, The end palm hum exercise, the animal eye chart, these are stretching exercises, stretching the eye muscles, which is going to bring more blood flow. Um, So, anything that you can do to increase the microcapillary circulation um is really beneficial acupuncture craniosacral therapy all of those things can really be beneficial so um anyways thanks for the question and i I think even if you don't have lattice degeneration just if you're concerned about your retina you know again with all the screen time we're doing i think this applies to everybody all right last question somebody's asked me a question about mugwort this came from my Vision sanctuary retreat, which we did um, about two weeks ago and um, By the way, just a little commercial plug. I'm going to be Offering the vision sanctuary retreat again November 12th to the 14th So uh, you can find it on Eventbrite on my website uh, on my Facebook page uh, People who took that it was a three-day immersion really powerful. I'm also doing um, classes, September 12th, October 17th. That's a 10 AM mountain time, one hour class on vision, wellness, eye exercises. And so anyways, this question is from that particular vision sanctuary retreat. Cause I talked about the herbal remedy mugwort, and this is an ancient herb. Uh, it's actually sweet. Um, it's really valuable because it um, can offer some really great support, not only for the body, but for the eyes. So I'm going to just run through the list of mugwort tea and what it benefits. First of all, it's very supportive for gut health, you know, and I find many people with eye issues, they also have gut issues. And so mugwort is uh, very supportive for, um, you know getting thing getting rid of things like bloating and constipation and uh, cramping so it's it's a it's, it's moves stuck energy i would say that the main thread of mugwort is it it moves stuck energy then um the second thing that it does it it really helps in the menstruation cycle and so it again it's another kind of moving stuck energies, chi stagnation. Um, It also can offer pain relief. Um, It's been known to help with uh, insomnia. It can be a mood elevator Um, and it can sometimes help in reducing some types of headaches. Uh, What I do with mug ward is I, I make up a tea and then I use a compress soft cloth over the eyes. So if you have a stye, a chalazion, meibomian gland dysfunction, any inflammation in the eyelids, you know, the eyelids are a major lymph area. um, Mugwort compresses can be really effective um, as a way, again, to open up the energy in the eyes, to open up the circulation, reduce inflammation and all that kind of thing. So um, (laughs) thank you uh, very much for the question. That's just great. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's going to be a wrap today. I want to thank you so much for tuning in, uh, spread the word. If you know anybody who's got any vision, eye problems and they're not getting answers, send them my way. I'm happy to answer your questions. And, uh, you can also visit me on the World Wide web, drsamburn.com and, um, Every Wednesday night, I do a Facebook Live from 6 to 7 Mountain Time. It's free, so you can ask your questions, right in. I'm happy to interact with you. All right, everybody. Well, I wish you well, and uh, until next time, take very good care.
1: You're listening to a podcast with Dr. Sam Byrne. To learn more about his seminars and workshops, visit his website, www.drsamburn.com. The Burn Method is a trademark signature of Dr. Sam Byrne for his workshops, seminars, books, and DVDs. The information presented in this podcast is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose for this podcast is to provide information for educational purposes only. Dr. Byrne and his guests have no liability or responsibility to any person or entity for loss, damage, injury caused, or allegedly caused through the information, exercises, suggestions, explorations, or written responses presented in this podcast. Dr. Byrne is not a medical authority and his guests are not qualified to diagnose or treat any disease or health problem. This podcast is not a substitute for medical care. Dr. Byrne's information is only his personal opinion. If you have
0: any health problem, please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have.